Well, morning, everybody. <laughs> Sounding good this morning. I've got my brew with me in case it packs up all completely. Just about made the first service. So uh, we'll see how we get on. Otherwise, it'd be the longest game of charades ever. <laughs> Starting well. Starting well. So, right. Technical glitches aside, we'll see how we get on. And if it survives, Esther, brill. So here we are. The last in our series on Fruit of the Spirit, and uh, it's on self-control, and I quite like that. Um, and I must confess that when I first looked down the list of uh, the topics we were going to be doing, I thought, oh, great. Everybody else gets something really nice. Phil gets a really hippie-ish love and peace man. He goes with his long hair. Um, <laughs> Lisa gets joy, patience, Catherine gets gentleness, and Ruth gets the pineapple of kindness. <laughs> Who wouldn't want to preach on that? Mine, though, felt a bit more like that. <laughs> Self-control is not an exciting concept. It seems a bit restraining, chastising. It doesn't seem overly attractive, a bit dour and Victorian. Not so much a case of uh, vavavoom as doom and gloom. <clears throat> but is it really? Is it really that bad? Is it something to be avoided or actually something to aspire to? Is it something that restricts us or something that frees us? Self-control. Everybody else turned to the dictionary to find that faithfulness was a state of being faithful. Um, but I didn't actually feel the need, because, well, it's fairly frank and self-explanatory, really, isn't it? Self-control. It's that absolutely important, impressive, and completely impossible practice of maintaining our own passions and desires. It means remaining master of our own domain, even when, when everything's hunky-dory, when it's all going well, when the sun's shining, birds are twittering, but also when it's dark out there and we're struggling and we're having a bad time. Self-control, quite possibly, is the epitome of easier said than done. Self-control can be saying no to that slice of cake. We've all been there. Not getting annoyed at your husband or wife. Not being jealous of your neighbor's 80-inch widescreen, super ultra high-resolution TV. Could also be staying faithful to a spouse. Not having that drink. Not clicking on that internet pornography. Self-control takes many forms and many guises, and some are definitely easier than others. See, self-control is really the fight against I want. Even from a secular point of view, this is quite a good thing, isn't it? We've all seen this. The toddler oh, having a tantrum, throwing their toys and howling in enragement. It's a whole other thing, though, when 20 years later, that same toddler <laughs> is lobbing the hole punch down the office. <clears throat> That's not a good thing. 
For, self, for Christians, self-control is not about temperament. Self-control is about resisting temptation. It's about reacting to others in a way that demonstrates the fruits of the Spirit that we've been talking about in our thoughts and in our actions. The Apostle Paul wrote about bringing every thought into captivity and to the obedience of Christ. As thoughts lead to actions, this means controlling ourselves completely, despite the pull of temptation. This is not an easy thing to do. You may have noticed in your life so far. Not being good at self-control goes back quite a long way. I believe it started in a garden with an apple and a lady. Some of the best since then have failed miserably at it. It's not, a good, it's not an easy thing to do. I was heartened to know that I am in good company when I read this in Ecclesiastes from Solomon. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. Solomon struggled. Paul himself says in Romans 7, I desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out, for I don't do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do. Well, I keep doing that. It's really hard to be perfect all the time, even if you fail. It's really difficult. Sometimes we don't manage our self-control very well. Sometimes we struggle. But what happens when we take the control away? Come on, there we go. We're left with self. In Timothy, Paul warns about the effect of giving in to sin, of giving in to self. He says people will be lovers themselves, money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful and holy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Those are not good things, <laughs> are they? There's not one good thing in there when we give in to self. When it's only self, it all goes to pot. We become self-obsessed, self-important, self-satisfied. We trade integrity for self-gratification. Without self-control, we overeat, overdrink, overspend, overindulge. But it isn't just food and shopping, is it? No self-restraint sees plunging standards of morality. Now, I don't watch a lot of telly, but in my opinion, the quality of it is heading downhill a little bit. Um, we seem to need a perfectly sculpted human being, not wearing too much, devastatingly alluring, like myself, <coughs> not, um, <laughs> to sell us, do we know what, can we guess what this is selling? Really? We need that to sell us an air freshener? <laughs> some of the programs we're exposed to, and I mean that in quite a literal sense in some ways, portray a lack of morals as a positive benefit rather than something that we need to be ashamed of or bring goods and control. I think we recognise we are living in a world without self-control, where self-control is being eroded and slowly chipped away at. The mantra of the age seems to be do what you want, when you want, with whom you want, to whom you want. Doesn't matter. 
there a problem with that? If everybody else is doing it, why can't we? Oh, it'd be so much easier. We don't have to, you know, worry then. We just, you know, hop on board. If everybody else is fulfilling their desires, can't we? It's only natural, surely. It's just human nature. Paul says this in Romans. I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. There's a part of us, even the Apostle Paul, there's a part of us that wants to sin. And sin can be summed up by that middle letter, I. I want to. I want more. As godly Christians, we have to recognize that self-control involves shunning those natural desires, rejecting the things that the world offers. Remember that list of Paul's? These are the things that we need to be fighting against to reject outright. <coughs> Excuse me. <laughs> Even when they come from within ourselves. The devil knows our weaknesses. He knows that little bit to pick at, to go for. I found this from a chap called Edward Welch. Satan knows sin. He has well-tested strategies to persuade us sin is really not that bad. And God is really not that good. Ever the opportunity comes rushing in when the imaginations of our minds set themselves on the created thing rather than the creator. What's self-control? Well, it's the effort, the active effort we put into resisting the temptations of the world once we know God's way of life. It's demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit, not committing the works of the flesh. It's keeping our eyes on the Creator and not on His creations. No, I don't think it's an accident that self-control happens to be the last fruit of the Spirit. I don't think it was put there because it was a bit tricky and Paul was just, you know, slipped in the bottom or because there's a hope we might not get that far down the list. I think it's there because the others don't work without it. Because it takes self-control to show true godly love to others, not as the world loves, but as Christ loves. It takes self-control to have godly joy when we're facing difficult situations in life take self-control to get along with others and make peace instead of conflict. Take self-control to patiently bear with others rather than quickly condemning them. Take self-control <clears throat> excuse me, not to automatically look out for yourself, but to kindly look out for others. Take self-control to do good, to follow that narrow gate rather than go the wide path towards destruction. Take self-control to be faithful, not to have our faith shattered by mockers and scoffers. Take self-control to be a gentle servant of the Lord, showing compassion and mercy with real love, as God does for us. So self-control is starting to look quite good. Not so much a burden as a blessing. So if it's so good... How do we get it? Whoops, there we go. Is there an app? Download a self-control app. A pill? That'd be helpful. A self-control diet? <laughs> Is there a mindfulness course to follow? Should we all sit and consider our self-control? 
Unfortunately, there isn't, because it would be a lot easier if there was, but there isn't. But, as the problem of self-control almost defines what it is to be a sinful human, there's unsurprisingly an awful lot of stuff in the Bible. How's about this from Proverbs? We still see it, yes. A foolish person loses his temper, but a wise person controls his anger. Thessalonians, each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that's holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like pagans who do not know God. 1 Peter, control yourselves and be careful. The devil is your enemy, and he goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to eat. Peter again, so prepare your minds for service and have self-control. All your hope should be for the gift of grace that will be yours when Jesus comes again. And finally, from Titus, say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So, how do we get self-control? Well, the principle from these passages, and many others, for the sake of my voice, I wasn't putting all them up, um, is that we need to learn the skill of saying no to to sinful desire, even when it hurts. But we know that what Paul's asking is actually really, really difficult. Despite sometimes saying no, quite sternly to ourselves, we find that when we're alone in a really dark place, or when life's getting difficult and it's all going wrong and the kids are driving me mad and I've lost the car keys and I cannot cope anymore and this is the last straw and self-control slowly slips through our fingertips and goes. But there is hope. You'll be glad to know. See, Paul's Just Say No campaign needs setting into context. Paul doesn't expect us to be able to do this on our own. He, does, he knows we can't handle this by ourselves. See, the key to self-control is not, is not inwards. The key to self-control is upwards. Again, from Titus. This is the way we should live because God's grace has come. That grace can save every person. It teaches us not to live against God, not to do the evil things the world wants to do. That grace teaches us to live in the present age in a wise and right way, a way that shows we serve God. See, this changes everything. Once God's involved, then it takes our little pathetic self-no and it wraps it in Jesus. Self-control is possible because of the grace of God through Jesus Christ. The grace of God, his love for us. That's no wishy-washy promise. That's no kind of mindfulness, we'll think about it. This is the grace of God, it's concrete. It's here. God sent Jesus to liberate us, to free us from our wrong desires and our wrong addictions. By faith, he set us free so we can live for him rather than for ourselves. 2 Timothy, for the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Power, love, and self-discipline from the spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is available to us, to you, to me. And it doesn't just come in some tiny little bottle, some little weenie thing like this. It comes in vast, unlimited resources for those who call on the Father. 
So this means we have the resource, we have the power to say no to what's keeping us bound. On one hand, we have our sinful cravings, our desires, our longings. And on the other hand, we have Christ, crucified on a cross, alive, raised from the dead, where he's defeated those sinful cravings, longings, and desires. Because although those desires are deep-rooted within us, they're no match for that cross, not at all. But this doesn't, of course, mean the battle's won. It doesn't mean we go, ah, cool, excellent, right, crack on. Um, No worries, we can carry on now. No, it means we've got to um, carry on. We've got to be prepared for a battle for our self-control. It says in Ephesians, put on the armor of God so you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Our struggling against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so when the day of evil comes, you will stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. The thing about armor is, you don't put it on to go for a walk around the park, do you? You put armor on to go into battle. (coughs) Edward Welsh wrote this, As the Hebrews were promised the land, but had to take it by force, one time at t- town at a time, so we are promised the gift of self-control. Yet we also must take it by force. So, how are we going to do this then? We're going to go into battle. We're all donned out in our armor. What are we going to do? How are we going to do it? We need a plan, a strategy for war. But first of all, we need somewhere secure. We need something We need some walls. Now, humans hate boundaries. Ask any parent of a toddler with those terrible twos. We know how much they love to be told no. We don't like to be told what we can and can't do. Even adults aren't very keen on boundaries. Ever since sin entered this world, we've considered boundaries to be a bit of a violation of our freedom. But it's not the case. We give our kids boundaries, we set them boundaries so they don't come to harm. And so it is with us. Scripture reveals the dangers of having no boundaries. How's this from Proverbs? Oh no, I did this last time as well, I don't need it yet. Um, From Proverbs, like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-controls. In biblical times, a city with no walls was unthinkable. It was, quite frankly, the height of stupidity. Thieves, robbers, anybody could come into your city and take the city, take what they like, and go. There was nothing to stop them. Only strong walls can bring safety and security. So it is with our weaknesses and our ungodly passions. We're like a defenseless city with the devil roaming around our walls. The wise thing to do is to rebuild our walls to protect us. So, how do we go about doing this practically? Well, I don't know about you, but my memory is absolutely shocking. Um, I can't even tell you what I had for breakfast this morning, let alone what happened a couple of weeks ago. Excuse me. Um, And so it is we're trying to remember how we get on with our self-control. 
if we think back over the past month, can you tell me how you've done with your self-control? Those times when you were niggled, when it didn't quite go as well as you were hoping? Well, what do you do when you have a small child? You have the joy of a sticker chart. We love sticker charts. Now, I must say, I'm not suggesting you have on your fridge a big sticker chart with lost written across the top. Because whilst it will be an interesting talking point for the neighbours, <coughs> perhaps it's not the most helpful way to go forward. But how's about a note in your diary? How's about making a, a, a record of the days that we had victory over um, the things that control us? Making a note of the days where we won and not the thing that we struggle with. Let's reflect and think on those things. Because once we've reflected, once we know where our walls are weak and we're crumbling, then we can use some tactics to defeat the things that are defeating us. If we're struggling with anger, then we need to recognize what's happening. When our heart rate increases, when that breathing gets a bit, bit quicker, when you can feel it bubbling inside of you, we need to do what we can then to get out of that situation. Or count to 10, or 20, or 30, or 40, however long it takes us to be able to calm ourselves down. Talk to friends who can put things in perspective. Things are getting really bad, well, go and talk to health professionals. Get some counselling, get some help. We're struggling with internet pornography. Then guess what? Move the computer out of that private space. Porn thrives on guilt and secrecy. Put it in a public space. Use accountability software, where somebody you trust is sent a, thing, a list every week of what you're looking at, not to judge you, but to help you help you to rebuild that wall that's crumbling? What if stopping for the pub every night for a drink on the way home is going to be a challenge, getting to be something a bit unhelpful? How's about changing route? How's about walking with a friend who's going to guide you away from that thing that's going to harm you? We need to start rebuilding our walls. For every example of a problem, an addiction, a desire, a longing, there is a combative solution. There's a way we can defeat the enemy who's roaming within our walls. We can retake our cities by force. So, oh, there we go, virtual wall. <coughs> Part two of our battle plan is to gain some wisdom. As a child, I have some very fond memories of Saturday tea time. Sitting down with my toasted sandwiches, watching... The A-Team. I was going to sing the tune for you, but I'm not going to at the minute. <laughs> the plot was the same every single week. Pretty girl gets in trouble. Dodgy bloke in the States and an alligator boots causing all sorts of grief. A-Team swinging. We get locked in a barn. We make an utterly improbable device out of a boiler and a gas cylinder. We go out. We save the situation. Everybody's happy. And at the end... Of every episode, Hannibal Smith, with his cigar in his mouth, says, I love it when a plan comes together. It was great. That was my Saturday tea time as a child. If we want success against an enemy, we need a plan so it can come together. We need to stop, we need to listen, and we need to think. See, wisdom is living a thoughtful 
Bible life. Wisdom's listening and remembering to what God has instructed us before we do something. Proverbs says this, Listen, my sons, to a father's instruction. Pay attention and gain understanding. I give you sound learning. Do not forsake my teaching. Get wisdom, get understanding. Don't forget my words or turn away from them. Do not forsake wisdom and she will protect you. Love her and she will watch over you. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom, though it costs all you have. Get understanding. Solomon's really quite clear here. And he is in the surrounding chapters as well, before and afterwards. He says again and again and again, remember the things God has taught you. Remember the scriptures. Remember the past. Listen, think, remember. Listen, think, remember. Because we need to have Jesus, to have those words in the center of everything for what, for, to go into our battle. If we've listened and remembered, then we can have a scripture or a prayer ready to combat those situations. In your head, when you're sitting reciting scripture or singing a hymn or a worship song, it's probably less likely that that whole punch is going to fly down the office. It might be less likely that we click on that button on the internet. It might be less likely that we open the extra drink that we don't need. We need to think and remember God's words and promises to us before we act. The wise man considers their actions and consequences. The fool rushes in. Wisdom's learning what God loves and loving that. Learning what God hates and hating that. Wisdom's learning from the past and acknowledging that we might not have to be the best person to come up with our own plan. Proverbs, it says, don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, shun evil. Because if we're wise, we'll surround ourselves with other wise people. There are plenty here. Wise, not perfect, but definitely wise. And if we're struggling with an area of life, let's draw alongside, let's be discipled by people who are wise, who've got the experience. Let's spend time remembering what God has to say and being discipled by other Christians. Let's create a plan, a strategy that's wise, and most importantly, has Jesus at the center. And finally, thank you for my voice. <laughs> the last part of my battle plan is this. We actually need to use and accept a gift. See, true self-control is a gift from the Holy Spirit. And until we accept that, it is a gift from outside of ourselves, we're never going to be truly free. We need to recognize that self-control is a gift we're given, but one that we need to be actively involved in. We need to take it out of the box. If somebody gives you a, or gives me, a gift to go bungee jumping, and I pray they never do because I hate heights, um, it wouldn't be a good one for me, and I leave that in the envelope, and it, never, it stays there, I'm never going to know what it's like to have the freedom of jumping off that bridge. <laughs> I'm sure somebody would enjoy it. But if we're going to um, receive gifts, we need to get involved. The gift of self-control means taking that gift into ourselves and exercising that gift. 
We learn to say no to our desires and longings, but we go beyond that. We admit our inadequacy, the emptiness of doing this alone, and we turn to Jesus for help. The heart of any self-control must be Jesus. Through him we've been freed from condemnation and sin. In Thessalonians it said we've been freed to serve the living true God, to wait for his son from heaven who he raised from the dead. Jesus who rescues us from the coming wrath. Self-control isn't about bringing our desires and longing under our control by our willpower. Self-control is actually about bringing our whole lives under the control of Christ by his power, not our power, his power. Self-control isn't about being restricted and restrained. It's actually about being free. Let's remember to pray daily for God's Spirit to bring and come into us and um, <coughs> empower us to be able to have self-control. The more we pray, study, meditate to draw closer to God, the more self-control we're going to have. So, back to our fruits. Don't be a melon and think of self-control as something to be feared but rather think of it as something to be welcomed and sought, because only then will we complete our fruit salad of the Spirit. (laughs) 